So my dad passed away in 2015. We weren't talking and it took a month for his family to track me down. Before I ever knew he was gone, I started hearing from him in heaven. It consumed me. How is communication with the other side even possible? I left my corporate gig, studied with spiritual teachers on every coast, and worked with my angels to figure out the answers. Today, my mission is teaching you how to raise your vibration, shift your thoughts, trust your intuition, develop your unique spiritual gifts, and connect with your loved ones and angels on the other side. Friends, when you have these tools, life really does become heaven on earth. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Laura Froyan. She has her PhD in human development and family studies with a specialization in couples and family therapy. She is a peaceful parenting and respectful relationship expert and self-compassion advocate. She's on a mission to help parents reclaim peace, joy, and connection by helping them find the root cause of their triggers and heal them once and for all so that they can finally trust their own intuition and parent and partner with confidence. She helps families all over the world reconnect to their purpose each other, and themselves so that they can show up in their lives and relationships with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Dr. Froyan, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much. And feel, you know, feel free to call me Laura. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry. My, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Okay, perfect. So Laura, talk to us a little bit because we have been through so much over the last year when it comes to coronavirus and, you know, like family schedules being so different than they've ever been. You have two children yourself, almost eight, almost six, I believe. And what has this been like for you guys? I think, I think just like for everybody else, it's been a lot, a lot of hard things and a lot of noticing what really matters, a lot of unexpected blessings too, you know, just kind of this whole, (laughs) this whole thing, you know, it's been a thing. It's been ups and downs and a lot of pain and a lot of beauty all, all in once. And, you know, yeah, it's been a lot. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. So what have you found has been like the best strategies that you guys have used in your household over the last year to really come together and to parent consciously and and show your your kids, you know, hey, here's what's going on. Be more mindful about bringing them into the loop, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, gosh, a year ago now when well, I'm my family is right at the one year mark of when our schools closed when as as we're recording this. And so a year ago, when we realized that things were going to be different, and we didn't know how long they were going to be different for we sat down as a family and discussed what we wanted out of this time, we had this unexpected time together where we were going to be spending a lot of time, way more time. And so we sat down and we discussed like, what are our goals? What are our intentions? What do we want this time to feel like? And my husband and I had a had that discussion kind of separately, just the two of us as partners. And then we had that discussion as a family. And then we aligned our our schedules, our rhythms, kind of we let those things, those values, those intentions really guide how we showed up with ourselves. So, you know, early on in the pandemic, it became clear that for my oldest, virtual schooling was not going to work for her. She has some sensory differences, some neuro differences, and it was not going to work for her. And so because our intentions were to spend more time as a family, to spend more time outside, to get closer, to have fun. And when virtual schooling became a big battle, we we let those intentions guide our choices and we pulled her from school and we unschooled for, for that time period. We worried way less about it and we prioritized our our mental health and our relationships. So yeah, I mean, I think like getting really clear on intentions and core values and letting those drive you is a beautiful way to parent in any scenario, but in particular when things are stressful. 
So how did that work? Did you guys pull her and homeschool her or how did that? Yeah, so we were really lucky and had a teacher who saw the the gifts in our child and trusted us and just was super flexible. So we went to the teacher, we asked for a meeting, we said, look, this isn't working, you know, what can we do to make this work better for her? And so her teacher was 100% okay with us just taking pictures of whatever it was she happened to do and submitting that as her her work and then just following her lead. And then as we moved into the fall, we, we found a schooling scenario where she could go in person that we felt comfortable with. That's amazing, that's amazing. So when it comes to, you know, our children, how can we help our children process and heal through this experience? Yeah. Oh, you know, as parents, we want to save our kids from pain. Yeah. It is very natural to not want them to experience any hardship or hurt right? It is so natural. And unfortunately, that's not the reality of life. They're humans. They experience the full range of human emotion, whether we want them to or not. And so when things are hard, the very best gift we can give them is our loving presence, holding space for them, and helping them learn how to navigate the ups and downs of life. Most of us I don't know about you and your upbringing, but most of us got the impression that when things are hard, when we have big feelings, it's best to just kind of stuff them down and soldier through, move on, pretend that that's not happening. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that did not serve me very well. And then I became an adult who had to go to therapy and learn how to feel my feelings, you know, so much so I became a therapist myself <laughs> trying to figure that out, you know. And so for our kids, what we really need is to show them that it's okay. Whatever feeling we have is an okay thing to have. Help them find it in their bodies. Help them learn to ride the wave of their feelings. You know, help them learn that most feelings only last about 90 seconds. And if we can just hang on through the intensity, through that wave, then on the other side, it will kind of recede. And that feelings are not something to just struggle through or white knuckle through, but to to ride. And then we're going to ride alongside them. And after we've given them full permission to feel what they're feeling, then we can help them with some coping skills, help them recognize when they feel better. And then, you know, for really for a lot of kids, what this looks like, especially for young kids, this looks like play. Kids do this through play, you know. So when this whole thing started, I got flooded with messages from people all over the world of their kids playing doctor with toys. It was very common. Like I got hundreds of photos of their kid of kids playing doctor with toys. Play is the natural way that kids process what's going on in their world. And so finding opportunities to drop into the present moment with your kids in their play, creating space in your schedule so that they have uninterrupted time for immersive play, and then play objects that are open-ended and allow them the opportunity to process. But then just sitting with them and holding space in their play, not trying to change their play or make their play anything that you want it to be, but just sitting there with them. Play is the most beautiful place for kids to process. Oftentimes they don't have the words for what they're thinking and feeling. They can't articulate it because they don't have the vocabulary or the sophisticated kind of emotional intelligence that we have, but they can play it. Totally. Interesting. So a couple different things here. You know, what you were saying before is so spot on about, and I was actually writing this this morning, uh, for a book that I'm writing. And, you know, we were taught to not trust your feelings, to not trust your body when it's full enough from food to like kind of suppress all of this feeling and emotion to just go with the flow and not make waves. And that's so hard, especially for this podcast audience, because they are so empathic themselves. And really Mm -hmm. all of that upbringing taught us to not be our empathic selves, which I think is where I'm seeing like a big overview picture. All of these clients that I work with, all these families, they're trying to bridge, you know, what worked for them in their upbringing, but shift this piece that didn't work 
to raise kids who are empathic to be their full, true, authentic selves, because that's really what it comes down to, right? Like when you're suppressing your feelings and emotions, you're also suppressing your joys in life because Mm -hmm. you don't know how to, you don't know what you can trust and what you can't trust. Yeah, Yeah, Um, it's a spectrum, right? So the human emotion is a spectrum. And if we lessen the negatives, we, we shorten the entire spectrum. We limit ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're trying to do this. The problem is, I think that we just don't have like, there's no Bible, right? There's like, there's no direction on how to do this. And I think what comes in some of the times, because your oldest kiddo is about eight and mine's turning 10 here in a couple of weeks. And I feel like she's just grown like five years Mm -hmm. within the last one and become such like a little teenager through all of this. And it's like, how much freedom do you give them? And where are the new boundaries? Because that's what I see all parents right now, like really struggling to try and determine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I think like one of the big things that I, as an empath myself, I learned that I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust my intuition that what I was feeling was wrong, you know, to shove it all down, to stop, you know, to not be my full self because my, the world couldn't handle my full self. You know, I don't know about your audience, but that's the message I got as a kid. And that's the last thing we want for our kids, right? We want our kids to learn how to listen to themselves, listen to their intuition. And so to do that, we've got to trust them and be open to conversations. And so, you know, even with my almost six-year-old, we still have mutual collaborative discussions where we state like this is our expectation or this is our idea this is our feeling about it this is our concern what is your perspective what is your concern tell me what's going on for you and let's figure out how we can come up with a plan or a solution that feels good for both of us so not a compromise where everybody's get you know each person gives up something but a true collaboration a meeting of the minds like we're a team together we're in this together I don't want to force you to do anything you don't want to do and I also have concerns and things I have to do as your parent. So let's work together to figure this out. So talk to me about this what like looks like because right now my daughter had two separate families. She's had like best friends, you know, two different girls since she was in kindergarten. Both families moved during mm. the coronavirus. And so even though we haven't moved, it kind of feels like we have in a way because she's having to make all new friends. And we find that at night, you know, she goes to school during the day. She's in half days right now. That's what her school is doing. She comes home, you know, there's about two, three hours of work that she has to do at home. And then she's, she just needs like a break, she needs to relax. So we let her have that time. But we find that after dinner, she doesn't want to spend time as a family. She wants to jump on FaceTime with her friends who are living in Mm. these states and connect with them. And so my husband and I are really struggling with, well, like, how much time do you give her to do that, you know, and everybody says Mm. the iPad, the iPad, the iPad, it's so bad, but yet it's like the phone, right? I mean, this is just like you and I being on the phone when we were younger talking to our friends on the phone. It's a different device. How, and I am feeling this where she's starting to like pull away into her own world, you know, and she's, you're starting to get a dose of like what that's going to be like as a parent. Mm -hmm. And yeah, how much time do you allow them to spend in their room? Let me ask you a question. What is your fear here? Oh, my fear is that there's like a level of depression within Mm -hmm. her because she's not getting as much physical interaction with us as parents, with, you know, friends as she normally would. Mm-hmm. So you're worried that she's not getting the interactions that she needs to be healthy. Yes. Yeah. What's true right now with your daughter? What's true? 
I do think like she's getting the social interaction of talking to people on FaceTime. And I do think that that's good for her. Yeah. I do think that we're starting to make some friendships and that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And when she does spend time with us, she's very loving. Mm -hmm. It's nice. Is it a worry that she's choosing to spend time with her friends over choosing to spend time with you? Like what's, are you telling yourself a story about what that might mean? I don't think there's a story there. I I think that I'm such an empath that when I feel energy, I feel it like mm-hmm. years in advance. And I'm starting to feel probably what it was like for my mom. Because mm-hmm. once I was probably in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I didn't want to spend any time at home, yeah. like zero. I was mm-hmm. always at a friend's house. And I was prepared to like, have that when she goes off to college at 18. But I did not think about the fact that that's how I was when I was that age and that she's going to want to yeah you earlier than 18. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay. it feels like it feels like lonely because mm-hmm. the family unit is like shifting a little yeah. bit because we only have one, you know, mm-hmm. there's not another kiddo at home to take care of when she doesn't need us it's just yeah there's an identity shift happening here yeah there you're transitioning she's transitioning to a new developmental stage and your role as her mom is shifting too and whenever those transitions happen we have an identity shift what does it mean to be a mom to a 10 year old who's starting to seek peer interactions more than family interactions yeah what I, does see, it? I see your I, I see your eye go, <laughs> eyes going. <laughs> I know. What you get to de- yeah. you get to decide. That's up to you. You get to choose what that means. You get to choose how you know what it means to be you know to be your daughter's mom as she navigates this. You get to you get to choose all of those things. There's no one right way to be. But I do want to tell you that this is a developmentally normal and healthy process that she's going through. It's rooted in attachment theory. Do you know attachment theory? I've heard of it before. Remind me what it is. Yeah, so attachment theory is the kind of speaks to the bonds that are created between a child when they're an infant and their primary caregivers. And the style of attachment we have serves us in regulating our relationships all throughout our lives, all the way to the type of partner we choose growing up. But Basically, the idea is is that a child is looking to feel safe and secure. And when they are babies, that means having a parent who responds sensitively to their cues and signals and meets their needs. And as they get older, they become less and less reliant on us. And they still but they still want emotional proximity and closeness and security. And so a secure child, as they move into the teen and like the tween and teens years, will know and feel very confident that their family is there when they need it. And they will start seeking some security, some, you know, some sense of value and worth outside of their parents too. So they will start moving into peer relationships. That is a normal and healthy part of transitioning into into teendom, you know, of making those transitions. Um, it's very normal to start seeking out those peer interactions and having your peer group be start becoming a source of fe- a sense of security, too. And so then navigating that well, a kid can't go out into the world with confidence if they don't know their parents are always right there. You know, they've got the safety net to fall back on. And so it sounds like she's starting to navigate that process and is very trusting of you. That sounds lovely and beautiful. And so, but when a child starts making that transition, it's quite natural for a parent to not be ready for it and to start, <laughs> you know, and to start thinking like, what does this mean? Oh no, my baby is growing. I want to pull her back in. She's got to stay with me. And that, like that anxiety is not hers to manage. It's ours to manage, right? It's not theirs. That's ours. And we can, we can, we can do that. You know, we can help them launch, you know, this long launch. She's going to have a longer launch than some, you know, like my, my, I didn't start seeking that from my parents until I was like 16 and I was late. I was like happy to like go to the movies with my parents and hang out with them instead of my friends, like way later than some other people were. It's, it's all different. There's lots of, there's a huge range of normal, but the process is generally the same. And yeah, I don't know if that's helpful. I hope so. 
for sure. No, okay. and it totally makes me feel for my mom. Because, <laughs> I think my voice is cracking today. It uh, it totally makes me feel for my mom because you know, as you go through this as a mother yourself and you reflect on who you were at this age, it makes you see things from a different perspective and have so much more like grace, I guess, and respect for how your parents handled things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's beautiful about a parent-child relationship? It doesn't end. Yeah. Right? And so there's like, there's opportunity here too for you to go back to your mom and like ask, how was that for you? How did you navigate it when you sensed me pulling away? Like that pull, what did it do for you? Like, you know, there's, there's lots of opportunities for deepening understanding and connection all through the lifespan. Yeah. You never stop being a daughter. For sure. For (laughs) sure. Let me ask you this too, because I think the other thing that I'm concerned about and worried about as a parent is. I watched as I grew up and perhaps these are constructs that I built within my own mind, but I watched how kids who had no choice but to sink or swim, right? Like Mm -hmm. made things happen for themselves. Like I grew up in a family where I remember being at Sam's club, I think when I was like in third or fourth grade and looking at that huge trampoline, like hanging from the top that they would entice you with, like be hanging from the rafters. I'd be like, can we get one of these? And they were like, yeah, go work for it. You know, like Mm. pay for it yourself. And so I would, you know, like I didn't have any filter within me that said I couldn't, I would just figure it out. And so I'm worried about because she's been the only child and that's not the way that I grew up either. Her being spoiled or having too Mm. much and not feeling like she has to work for things. Hmm. Okay. So what lesson, like, what do you think you, the, the trampoline, like, what do you think you got out of that scenario? What, like this, cause it seems like there's something positive that you took from it. Yeah. Like just a really strong work ethic. Of work me. ethic. Mm-hmm. But I had this determination, right. Or like this drive within me since I was younger. And so I've been trying to implement this into my daughter. Yeah. And she wants to get a phone next year. Like next Christmas is the age like we're kids at her school. And I have to apologize to the audience. I don't know why my voice is like cracking today. So I'm so sorry. Um, You sound lovely to me. Oh, thank you. So she's coming up on the age Mm. where kids are going to start to get a phone. And I told her, you're going to want a nice phone. And I said, if you want me to buy you a $30 flip phone, I'll happily pay for that. But if you're going to want a nicer phone, here's what it costs and you're going to have to pay for it. And I said, you can do different chores around the house. You can be working all this year to pay for this phone. And I talked to her the other day and I'm like, oh, you know, three months have gone by and you haven't done any work you know, to save up Mm -hmm. money for this phone. And she goes, yeah, but I still have how many more months to save Mm -hmm. up? (laughs) That's not how it works. (laughs) Okay. So let me ask you something. Okay. So you, you, this experience with the trampoline, you really felt like it taught you work ethic and you're proud of your work ethic. You really like, like that about yourself. Yeah. Yes. And you want your child to have that too. You want her to have a strong work ethic. Yes. Yes. Do you think the way you learned to have a work ethic is the only way to learn how to have a good, strong work ethic? <laughs> Apparently, I do a little bit, but not yeah. really. Yeah, I guess I, really. my subconscious is coming yeah. in there. Absolutely, yeah. right? So this is part of conscious parenting is becoming aware of our unconscious or our subconscious narratives. And do are they actually true? Yeah. And are they actually true of my kid? So this is the other thing. This worked for you. Right. And for other kids, it may not. Yeah. So like, just as an example, I was a shy kid, a nervous kid. And my, you know, there was this one time in a store, I wanted to buy something. I had money. I had these cute little things that I really wanted to buy. And my mom said, okay, great. Go on up and buy it for you, for yourself. And I, and I was like, no, I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. I don't want to go up to the cash register and do it. And she was like, well, if you want them bad enough, you'll do it. And 
I, you know, it was really hard for me. My best friend was with me. She helped me do it, but it was really hard. That was a sink or swim moment. That sink or swim moment did not work for me at all. It did not make me brave. It did not make me think I could do hard things. It made me think like my mom's not on my side. And when something's hard, she's not going to help me, you know? And so, and, but that's just a difference, right? And so with like, a similar scenario came up with my oldest daughter, who's very like me. I had the same words of my mom fell, fell out of my mouth. If you want to pet that dog badly enough, you'll go ask the owner if you can pet the dog. And I saw the same expression on her face that was a perfect representation of how I felt in that moment when my mom said that. And in that moment, my unconscious conditioning fell out of my mouth. And I consciously said to her, I don't know why I just said that. Of course, I'll go and help you. Now, my other daughter is not like that in the least. And if she said, I really want to go pet this dog, you know, but I'm nervous. All I would have to say to her is to say like, I hear you're nervous, but I bet you can do it. And she'd be like, yep, I can. And she'd go off and do it. Like different kids need different things. And so the question becomes then with this scenario, what does your daughter need to develop a good work ethic? Right. So how do you figure that out? Yeah. So, well, there's lots of questions then to ask yourself and to ask her, what would motivate you to do this? You know, and the other question, though, too, is so she's you said she's 10 is is a good work ethic, something that a 10 year old has to start developing right now? Like, is there urgency on this on this value of yours? That's very important. And in no way should you ever have to give it up as a parent. We get to have our values, our goals, our priorities for our kids. But asking yourself, so just because in my home growing up, this was valued and taught at a young age, do I have to choose to teach it at a young age to my child, my individual child? And does that work for her? So seeing our, meeting our kids where they are, who they are, knowing who they are, and then meeting, you know, meeting, you know, holding in one hand our goals and values and the reality of who our kid is, I think is important too. That's true. And, I mean, and so like teaching work ethic, you know, so for me, if my parents had done the like this trampoline thing. That your parents did, I would I would have said to myself, well, I'll never be able to earn that much. I may as well give up on my dream. That's what, like, for me, personality wise, would have been. What I would have needed in that moment would have been like, this is really my parent to say, this is really important to you, isn't it? I see how your face lights up. You really want that. Let's figure out a way for you to get it. And we would have set up, you know, my like, you know. I mean, I would have needed somebody to help me with a structure, with a schedule. I was super disorganized and couldn't stick to things. You know, I had a little bit of undiagnosed ADHD. I would have needed way more support than it sounds like you needed. And that probably would have helped me build a work ethic, you know? Yeah. But it would have looked differently than how it, how you needed help and support in building that work ethic. Yeah. 100%. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'm writing. I'm taking down all these notes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yes. So talk to us, Dr. Uh, talk to us, Laura, about, you know, what you're seeing with the clients that you're working with, because I think that one of the things that's such a blessing when you work with so many different people is you get to see, wow, you know, 50% of people that I'm working with are struggling with this or 75% of people that I'm working with are struggling with this. What kind of uh, parallels are you seeing among your clients that they're struggling with at this time? Yeah. So I have a lot of folks who have kids who are like 10 and under and a lot of, you know, as schools are opening up, a lot of kids are quite anxious to return to school and quite reluctant. So I'm seeing some, some school reluctance coming up where kids are saying like that, or school refusal, where they're saying, I don't want to go to school. So that's coming up. And then in the parents, I'm seeing a lot of just uncertainty about how to navigate this kind of the world opening up. There's lots of a lot of the people that I work with are learning how to set healthy boundaries with their parents for themselves to keep themselves well. Empaths have to be really good with boundaries, right? Like super good with boundaries and it's very hard. And so a lot of people who I work with have been relying very 
heavily on this kind of like this external force of the pandemic to help them set boundaries. And so now as people get their vaccines and the world is opening up, they're having to kind of almost relearn how to hold healthy boundaries for themselves. So those are the kind of the two things that I feel like I'm seeing right now. Okay, let's go into that a little bit. How do you work with, you know, school refusal? Yeah, so I don't know where you are in the world. I just realized that. Oh, I'm in Illinois. Like Illinois. Like- okay, so you'll get this analogy. So anybody who drives in the snow and ice knows that when you're uh, you when you are driving and you hit an icy patch, what are you supposed to do? I actually don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. You're you the instinct is to correct. You know, so if you are driving and you start skidding to the right, the instinct is to pull the steering wheel to the left or slam on the brakes. And both of those things can increase the possibility that you're going to get into a car accident. They make the car like kind of freak out, you overcorrect and then you start fishtailing across the ice. It's super dangerous. So what you're supposed to do when you hit an icy patch is to gradually decelerate and go in like turn into the curve so if you start curving to the right you're supposed to just gently like move the steering wheel into the right that will decrease your velocity and kind of the the strength of the turn and then you'll be able to gently correct back into going straight so this is easing so when a kid is saying i'm not going to school that's you hitting the patch of ice and it is our instinct to be like oh yes you are Yes, you are going to school, right? And that's the overcorrecting, right? It's our instinct to just pull against it, to meet that resistance with our own resistance. But in that moment, what our kids need is just like what we are supposed to do with the ice. They need us to lean into it. They need us to get curious with them. They need us to say like, yeah, you're not feeling school today. What's up? And just sit with them, hold that space for them of like, yeah, school is hard. It's different. Whatever it is that they say, like hold space for it without trying to convince them that they're, they want to go to school. School is inevitable. They're going to school. It's going to happen, you know, but we can just give them a little space, a little bit of time just to go turn it, like turn into the skid just a little bit with them. Go with them. Yeah. I wish we could stay home. I miss all of our time at home together too. We had all those days together and now our days seem really short. Now it's like we're up in the morning, it's rushed, you're off to school, and then we get home and we have very little time together and you miss just long stretches of time together. That that makes sense. Yeah. Or you're you're at school and you remember how it used to be and now you can't sit close to each other. You don't get to go to the lunchroom anymore. You've got your mask on all the time. It's claustrophobic. You get thirsty. Your lips are dry. It's hard. You know, just go like holding space, holding so much space for all those feelings. And usually after they feel heard and understood, most of the time in my experience, kids are like, okay, they put their socks and shoes on and out the door they go and they're fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like that saying where they talk about, you know, when you're scared of feeling your emotions, they stick with you for yeah. life. But if you actually feel the emotion, it releases a lot of times within two minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, like, that's the thing that we, we, in resisting our kids' feelings, we make them last longer. And so if we want, you know, and but the the key point, though, is that you cannot go into this inauthentic, right? You can't go into this like saying, like, I'm just going to validate their feelings because Dr. Laura said I should validate their feelings and then they'll want to go to school. So I'm validating their feelings to get them to want to go to school. Kids, especially empathic kids, you know, they can sense that a mile away. They know. Don't I mean, they know. When, oh, they know. And so you can't you can't go into it with like this underlying sense of I'm doing this to control or manipulate my kid and get them to do what I want. You have to go into it from a place of like I'm meeting my child where they are. They've got something going on and I'm going to just get curious and understand. And that's my only goal right now is to meet them in the present moment and help them through this hard thing that's going on for them. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, parenting uncertainty right now. Talk yeah. about this. <laughs> I mean, I think like just the same thing that helped us get through this moment in time when we were like all of a sudden 
the shutdown happened. We were quarantined. We were all asked to stay home. We were all asked to do something we have never in the history of the world done before, right? This has never happened before. We need to offer ourselves that same amount of grace that we offered ourselves back then. We need to get clear on what are our intentions and our goals, what are our core values, what are our priorities as we open up, you know, as we move back into the world. What is it that we want to go in there knowing, you know, want our kids to know about this time? How do we want this time to feel for our kids? And then let that lead and guide us. Because there's, I don't know about you, but there are things about my life that I never want to be the same again. Like I never... Yeah. yeah. Like I, you know, there were times where like I got, you know, before this, I got so caught up in the just the day to day, the going through the motions. And my time at home with my family is really highlighted that for me. And I never want to go back to that. There were also times where we were way overscheduled, where like now looking back on it, I can see that my kids were stressed. They were rushed. There was very little space some in some of our days for them to just play. I never want to go back to that again. Like, no, like if, you know, dance studios and gymnastics studios and all of those things opened up again and were possibilities again, swimming lessons, you know, I would think very long and hard before I added those things back in. Not because I don't think, you know, they're good things for kids. And of course, I would consult with my kids, you know, like one daughter is very, very still continues to be very, very sad about not being in dance that's absolutely an activity I would happily reincorporate. Would we need to have dance, gymnastics, swimming lessons, and violin lessons? No, I don't think, I don't know that we would need to have all of those things, you know? So just being more intentional with with it, this is a great time to be super intentional. I don't know. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. That's beautiful. I'm wondering, you know, Spirit's asking me to ask you this question. What's something about your own life? Like not you as a parent, but just you as a person that you don't want to go back to yourself, like things were before. Yeah. Okay. So something I've been really learning about that I I'm also feeling really called to share with you, and I'm not an expert in this, but I feel really just like passionate about it lately. So I've been learning to redefine and reclaim pleasure for myself. And so I think oftentimes when we think about pleasure, we think about it like from an intimate standpoint, and that's not the pleasure that I'm talking about. I'm talking about like being in the present moment with all of my senses and just like figuring out what I like, what like feels good. Like when I'm on a walk and I hear a bird singing, like stay stopping for a moment and like extracting the pleasure of that sound or, you know, so I noticed I was thinking about like, what do, what sounds do I really, really love? And I really love the sound of rushing water, of waves and rivers. And with this pandemic, we have not gone to the ocean, which I know we normally get to do. I was really missing it. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to buy a really inexpensive indoor fountain. And now anytime I want a little bit of pleasure in my life, I can turn that on and I can just sit right next to it and listen to running water. And so like, I don't know, you know, I, Pleasure is something that I've learned to how to, like, I'm learning how to find it, like slowing down and savoring a cup of tea or, you know, I, it's like this feel of like snow crunching under your boots, you know, and how that feels and sounds or sometimes like noticing like what you don't like. Like, I really don't like when my kids roar like a dragon, like that really takes me out of feeling like good in my body. And so, like, they can go roar like dragons outside or in the basement. I don't need to hear that, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's so wild because I've been writing this book over the last three months. And I didn't realize that when you write a book, like, you get all of the words out, yes, but then you go back and you reread it and you reread it and you reread it and you edit <laughs> it, like, about 15 times to make sure, like, it's just perfectly polished for everybody but it's so ridiculously like synchronistic because it's happened probably five times where I'll be spending time on like two pages right in the morning and then I'll have a podcast interview and that interview is exactly the two pages that I was just writing about that day so 
amazing. <laughs> it's amazing because the two pages that I was spending on like right before this was, you know, how when we're younger, like we were saying before, you're taught not to trust yourself in so many different ways, which is us not learning how to feel our feelings, feel our emotions, understand who we are as empaths. But even more than that, it's that we don't understand our joys, you know, and you say pleasures and I say joys, but we mean the same exact things. And when you don't feel your own joys, you're not in your own energy. And I, I was saying, you know, so much of this book is just channeled, right? Just like spirit, because I, I some of these things come out, like as I'm typing, and I'm like, I, I never even would have thought that, you know, and spirit had me write your joys are the greatest expression of your soul's true energy in this lifetime. So when people are always asking me this question of, well, yeah, I was talking taught not to cry and not to feel my feelings and to eat until, you know, eat everything on my plate or you don't get dessert. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do I come back to myself? It's through your joys. Yeah. Through listening. Yeah. 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 You know, I was watching my daughter the other day play outside and she, she spent about 15 minutes just repeatedly picking up chunks of snow. Like, so we're, we're in Wisconsin. So the snow is like really chunky and icy and just picking up a chunk and beating it against the side of her play structure. There was no purpose to it. It was not productive. It didn't do anything. She was just in the moment enjoying herself, just following her gut, following her intuition, perfectly just unencumbered by what anyone else would think about it. Just beating the snow against (laughs) the side of the playhouse and and enjoying as it fell apart just over and over and over again and I you know it's so funny like we I think we box ourselves in we you know as we grow up we become aware of you know the world's expectations for us what's okay to do I think especially as women we get sense the sense that if it's not productive it's a waste of our time you know, so I mean, I just I don't know, I've been finding way, new ways to listen to myself and trust myself that I think have helped me, I don't know, feel more joyful and connected to who I, you know, to like my true self. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so amazing. <laughs> so let's touch on this because we both have kids who are not in their teenage years yet, but you work with so many moms and so many different parents you know, what is life like? And do you have any tips for parents of teenagers right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, it's, I think kids in the three to five range and kids in the teen range are the hardest hit by this right now, because they're both really, really supposed to be focusing on peer relationships. And it's been, that's been really, really hard for them. Having mutual collaborative conversations with your kids is the best thing you can do. It teaches them wonderful skills. It a good collaborative problem-solving conversation teaches them to check inward. You know, what it, what do they want? What are their concerns? What are their worries? What are their deepest desires and hopes for a situation? That's a beautiful, wonderful skill that we were just talking about. That like so many grown-up women are relearning because it was shut down. Let's not do that to our kids, right? Let's not make put them in a situation where when, you know, in 10 years from now, they're going to have to go to a therapist and learn how to listen to themselves. Let's not do that. Let's, let's help them now learn how to listen to themselves. Let's help them understand our perspective, learn how to hold kind of the both and of life. Like, you know, we're concerned for your safety, you know, and, and we love you and we're concerned for safety and we understand that you want to be doing these things that we see are risky. Like we can have both realities are available and present at the same time. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be an either or, you know, an either or it can be a both and helping them understand, you know, like, yes, I understand you really, really want to go, you know, be able to go to this party with your friends, your friends are doing it, you really want to be able to do it. And at the same time, I don't feel comfortable with that. So let's figure out a way that feel that you can see your friends and I can feel comfortable about your safety. Where's the like, where's the and here? Where's the yes? Let's work together to find a yes. That's a good yes for both of us. I mean, I, I think like that, I mean, 
we want kids to be able to listen to themselves. We want kids to listen to their nose. We want kids, you know, to their own nose. We want kids who know how to negotiate, who know how to advocate for themselves. These are all good things. It's hard. It's hard with teens, you know, to get them to slow down, to get in touch, look within what's right for me, regardless of what my friends are doing, regardless of what my parents want, what is right for me. Those are... Those are big skills. Those are important skills that we want our teens to have. Well, and, you know, it's so scary as a parent because you see all these statistics and you see all these reports and they're saying that, you know, like suicide amongst teenagers is up. And that's really scary because it feels like what do you do? You know, like how do you keep a pulse on your child? Because we know as adults that your emotional state goes up and down daily, but they don't know how to navigate that yet. They don't. They don't. I mean, ultimately, like for those of you who are listening who have younger kids, that starts now. That starts right from the very beginning, helping them understand. Like we were talking about that uh, and emotions are like waves. And if you just ride them out, they will lessen with time and that your parent is here to support you. When they're, they make mistakes how can I cultivate a home where when they've made a mistake, they can run towards me instead of away from me, you know, with the little things, you know, when it's a, you know, a broken toy versus, you know, a, a party where there's drinking, you know, we, we want them to trust us with the little stuff so that they'll trust us with the big stuff. But even with the, you know, the older kids, oh gosh, you know, so much, it is our, it is our kind of, the idea that we have in our heads as parents to teens, that we are supposed to give them our knowledge, tell them what is the right thing to do, kind of, you know, give them information, when in reality, we'd probably be far better served to say way less and listen way more mm -hmm. to them, to just get curious with them. What's, you know, what's hard for you right now when, you know, when they give us something, you know, sit sit with them for a moment and say yeah thanks for telling me that is there anything else you know like an another good question that you can be asking a teen if they come to you with something or they kind of give sometimes teens give this kind of like soft lob they kind of just like you know toss something out to see what's going to happen with the parents like you know like they might say something like you know, Jessica was mean to me or Jessica and Amy got together today and I wasn't you know and you didn't let me you know, they got together and you said I couldn't go because they weren't going to wear masks, whatever it was, you know, they might just kind of toss something out there. And it is tempting for us to say like, well, no, that's not really what happened. Or yeah, I know you are, you, you know, you didn't, I, I know, but they weren't being safe. Like it's, it's tempting to kind of engage with them and defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it, we could do something different there when they say those things, like we could say like, I bet you felt left out. Or like, I bet that was hard to hear that they were together and you didn't get to go. Or I bet you're pissed at me. Like, I, I'd be pissed at me too if I were in your shoes. Like, I, I know. That was rough. And then, so a good question to ask kids when they, like older kids, any, actually any age kid when they come to you with something is, you know, so you give them th these three choices. The first one is, you know, is this something that you, you know, just want me to listen to you on? Just just hear you and listen. Is this something you want my advice on, on how to handle? Or is this something you want me to get involved in? And those are kind of like three levels of kind of intervention. Oftentimes parents jump right to the advice giving or to the getting involved. Like we hear, you know, like, Tommy pulled my hair again. Like, I'm going to call Tommy's mom. Like, she, he can't touch you. You know, it's so easy to jump straight to one of the other two. But oftentimes, most of the time, really, kids just want you to listen to them. And then you just use good reflective listening skills, like active listening skills. Oh, he said that. Uh-huh. Oh, and then you said that. Whew. I'm wondering what she thought about that. Oh, yeah, you could see it on her face. She didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And then what? Yeah, that happened. Whew. You know, you just you just sit there with them, just like just kind of hear it out, let them process. And oftentimes, once kids hear it out loud, they're like, "Huh, okay," or they know what to do. Like the, so, sometimes just with active listening, they 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 hear that they hear you saying their words back to them, and the the answer of what to do becomes really clear. And they say things like, "You know what, mom? The next time he does that, I'm just gonna walk away." 
Yeah. And then you could say, like, you've got a plan. You think you're just going to walk away next time. Amazing. And that's it. They've solved the problem. Like, they don't. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> those are good things to do. Amazing. You know, I never kind of got that until you just said it. But you're right. Like, when you're able to say something out loud and just get it out in words, it's almost like you provide yourself with the space that you need to hear your own intuition. Yeah, it's like we're a mirror for them, you know, so we're, it's like they're like, we're this little mirror where they can see themselves and see the situation much more clearly when when we are mirroring back what they're saying, where they they get the little bit of distance that they need. And they can almost like hear it coming out of someone else's mouth, too. So like, they, it's almost like there's a little piece of like, oh, if someone else was saying this, this is what I would do. And so then they know how to give themselves advice. 100%. Amazing. <laughs> Dr. Laura, you are so fantastic. She is sharing her own personal angel stories. I'm excited to share this story. I've never talked about this out loud before. Yay. Okay, so do tell. Yeah, so when I was a little girl, my my grandpa died and he was very much an outdoorsman and a hunter and he loved Canada geese. And so after he died, on every single trip my family went on, we always saw a lone Canada goose fly, like fly next to our car as we left. Every single trip until I got married. Isn't that funny? It's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, I mean, that was something that like always, like, you know, my, my family talked about it and we always gave voice to like who that was, that that was grandpa, that he was looking out for us, sending us good wishes. And so I I don't know, I always felt very like protected by that. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. What a beautiful angel story. Yeah, this is so much fun. Oh, yay. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, yeah. So I have my own podcast called The Balanced Parent that we have conversations like this all the time. So if this was your jam, please come hang out. We also do, you know, on The Balanced Parent, we talk about marital relationships and we talk about a lot of inner work. So I'd love to have you hang out there. And I'm also really like hanging out a lot on Instagram these days. So that's the best place to come and get some behind the scenes footage and kind of extra, just extra training and content that I put out. Laura Froyan PhD at on Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. We will put all of that in the show notes below. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Beautiful souls. I'm so excited to announce that my book on angels and how they're working miracles in your life will be available on Amazon fall of 2021. If you're listening on or after fall of 2021, check it out. Friends, if you'd like to work with me each week, my angel membership program is perfect for you. You can join at any time and you get access to past courses. In 2021, I'll be teaching you about a new topic each month. We started the year in February with a course on oneness and raising your vibration. March is angel communication, how to hear your angels. April is trusting your intuition. May is knowing your soul's purpose. June is working with Archangel Raphael to learn self-energy healing techniques and chakras 101. July is rewriting the stories you've been holding on to. August is all about rewiring your mind to move past blocks. September is energetically working through ancestral trauma. October is working with your inner child and Archangel Michael. November is a guide to being an empath. Then we're rounding out the year with a course in December that helps you connect with your loved ones on the other side to help you deepen your personal connection with them. And in January 2022, we'll be back with a whole new course on manifestation and co-creation. You get all of this live group access to me, two new pre-recorded Reiki healings, an advanced notice to book a session with me when you're an angel member. 
Sign up for the Angel Membership anytime. If you're listening in 2022, please know that we're planning to add new content each month. For details and to sign up, view the show notes below. Friends, the only thing that's not included in the Angel Membership right now is the Angel Reiki School, where you learn to develop your unique spiritual gifts. Whereas the Angel Membership is about your awakening journey and your personal spiritual growth, the Angel Reiki School, on the other hand, certifies you as an Angel Reiki Master Teacher and teaches you the art of energy healing and bringing through messages for your clients. Friends, if you're feeling called to the Angel Reiki School, it's because the souls you're here to help on earth, well, their omnipresent piece of them, you know, their higher selves on the other side, that's what's behind you, pushing you, fueling you to become who you're meant to be. Because when you do, they know your work will shift the trajectory of their life here. That's what I mean when I say you have big, big purpose in this lifetime. A new class of the Angel Reiki School starts on the first of each month. Speaking of the Angel Reiki School, we're going to need about 800 volunteers this year. We select volunteers from people who've written a five-star positive review and emailed us a copy. That way, we have a way of contacting you for your free volunteer session. Many of you have asked if I'm still booking sessions, and the answer to that is yes. I love, love, love my sessions with you. We have a new system where we send out an email once a month with a link to my calendar for you to book online. It's really easy. All you have to do is sign up to be on my email list on my website, theangelmedium.com. I've been spending a ton of time going live with you on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, and I'm having a blast with it. Join me over on social and our newly launched YouTube channel for tons of new content, teaching videos, and actual video footage of these podcast episodes. Friends, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so, so much for being part of this community and listening to this show. I truly feel that this is your show and the angels show, and I just feel so blessed to be a part of it. You're the most supportive community a podcaster could have. I pray for you every day. If you have a special prayer request, you can submit it through my website homepage and I'll be praying for you personally. Now for the oneness meditation, which is the last five minutes of every episode. And as you do this meditation, you'll raise your vibration and the vibration of the planet. Friends, what I want you to do is to just get into a relaxed position. If you are driving, operating machinery, need to concentrate, then this meditation is not for you. But anyone who is able to focus their attention on it, please join me. Friends, I want you to start by taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And I want you to imagine that your socks, your shoes are off and that your bare feet are able to connect with the soil of the earth. And down through the bottom, the soles of your feet are these large roots that go down far and wide into the earth. Those roots go down far and wide, anchoring you into the earth as if you were a tree yourself. And up through those roots comes this beautiful, yummy, tingly energy. It begins to tingle at the tip of your toes. I want you to allow this yummy, tingly energy to just dance up over your feet, around your ankles. Feel this yummy, tingly energy as it moves up over your calves, your shins, all the way up to your knees.
this energy at your knees and allow it to move up the thighs, the hamstrings, all the way up to the sides of the hips. to allow this energy to move from the hips up to the base of your spine, the base of your stomach. And I want you to feel this energy as it climbs up the spine and the stomach all the way up until it reaches your heart. loved ones on the other side. See them 
see them in detail, friends, because you seeing them in detail is the exact same thing as you going to them on the other side, knocking on their door, asking them to spend time with you. They love you so incredibly much. They want to spend time with you. They want to develop that relationship with you. When they're there, you're here. I know it's different, but you can still have that beautiful, incredible relationship. All of these beings, your angels, your guides, your loved ones on the other side, they form your spirit team who's always working to guide you, direct you, protect you. Friends, what I want you to do is just take some time with them right here, right now. What they want you to know is that they are working with you all the time. What they want you to know is that they are sending you signs and symbols to show you that they're next to you. Friends, they ask you to see that they are bringing in gift after gift after gift through your heart chakra to bless your life with miracles. Friends, it's your job to remain open, to believe, and to trust that they are working miracles in your life. Friends, I love you. They love you so incredibly much. Stay open and know, believe, trust, have faith, know like you know like you know that they are working with you always. See you here next time. Have a blessed day.